Karlsson, Karlsson, världens bästa Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson. Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson vill jag så bra som mig. Karlsson, Karlsson, Karlsson scores! Karlsson, Karlsson. All right everybody, super excited to bring you the first beat writer interview in our 2022-23 beat writer interview series and we're starting with a good one. I've got joining me on the line right now the beat writer for the Columbus Blue Jackets for the Columbus Dispatch. It's Brian Hedger. Welcome to Keeping Carlson Brian. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Congrats for uh you know not calling it the Post Dispatch which some people sometimes screw up. So we appreciate that very much at the Columbus Dispatch. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I feel like if you're a Columbus Blue Jackets fan, you've got to be following all of your articles. I see one uh, recently about Marchenko, which I know people are going to be excited to hear your thoughts on him and all the prospects. But I guess let's start with the team overall. Uh, this is, was a very interesting season for the Columbus Blue Jackets because I felt like, especially after that trade in the summer, like trading Seth Jones away for kind of like futures, like obviously Adam Bokvist is an NHL, but you know, looking to the future, I thought this was going to for sure be like a rebuilding year, not a year where the Blue Jackets would contend or anything. But in, in the end, it turned out not to be so bad, right? They were 37, 38, and 7. They were 6th in the Metro. Uh, but people may forget, Columbus actually went 12 and 6 to start the season. They also had a stretch of like 9 wins and 11 games in February. So at one point, they were like right in the playoff hunt. Uh, was there a point where you were thinking that maybe this could be a team that can contend for the playoffs this year? Or were they just like overachieving for those stretches and we knew that this was like a far away team from a playoff contender? That was interesting. Uh, you know, when we came into the season, I think uh, myself, Aaron Portsline uh, with the Athletic, uh, you know, others that cover cover the team, Jeff Svoboda, uh, others. I think we all kind of privately when we talked, tried to temper expectations, just like you were talking about, uh, just because it did look like, you know, maybe not a full rebuild. Uh, Yarmo Kekalainen, right from the start, when he you know made those trades of uh, of uh, Nick Felino last year and. Uh, um, Savard last year and those those ones at the deadline where he got assets and got picks um, I mean he right away said we're, we're not going to call this a rebuild for a reason because we think it can go faster like in his mind a rebuild I think in everybody's mind a rebuild is going to be like five years or six years right uh, before you're really you know contending for a playoff spot I don't think he ever fully intended for that to be the case to be for that to be that long. So that's why it, it's, it's the running joke. We call it, what is this called? A reset, a retool, a rebuild, whatever you want to call it. Right. But you know, he's very adamant that this is not a rebuild. This is a, what he calls a reset of the roster, which I guess in his mind would be, you know, something that's probably a little faster. Um, and so, you know, seeing what his team was able to do this year, uh, Yarmo Kekalainen the other day talked to us, and uh, and and just reemphasize that, and and he feels like that you know this team could be back to competing for the playoff uh, contention uh, before many or most may realize, and then but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal here is to build a Colorado or build a Florida or build, you know what I mean? Like those powerhouse teams, they're trying to build one of those here, but that it does take time. They want to win the Stanley cup here. I mean, this, this, this team has been around 21 years. They want to win the Stanley cup here. So, you know, I think that, I think this season from their estimation was probably right on target, 
Um, you know, and, and it's a weird season too, because if you look at this, uh, you know, they, they, they did have what it was 81 points. I believe, um, I believe 538.com was the only place that I saw that had their season projected correctly. Uh, they had them down for was it 83 points? 83 and everyone, else, everyone else was lower, I assume. Oh my gosh. They like so literally everybody else, because I, I you know, when you're in this situation, you end up reading all the predictions and you know, see where your team is picked and all that. And pretty much every single person or every, every prognostication, every prediction uh, had the blue jacket dead last in the metropolitan division. Uh, and one of the like five worst teams in the league. Uh, like they were, most people just assumed that they were going to be in the running for, you know, the, the worst spot and the, uh, the Shane Wright, you know, uh, lottery type thing. Uh, and, and they were way better than that actually. And so when you look at this season, they, they come out of it with 81 points and they had a bunch of significant injuries. Um, you know, Boone Jenner misses the last, what, like six weeks of the season, seven weeks of the season. He was having a great year. Patrick Liney missed, uh, well, he missed 19, 20 games with the oblique, and then he missed the end of the season as well with an upper body injury. If you look at the splits with them with and without Liney this year, I mean, they were markedly better with him in the lineup this year uh, than they were last year, and I'm sure we'll get there. But the point is, when he's not playing – (laughs) <laughs> you're not winning games a lot of times. And so how many more games could they have won with him being healthy the whole year? I mean, they, these are tantalizing questions that I'm sure the, uh, the, the front office of the blue jackets are asking, you know, themselves right now as they look back over this season. Um, but I mean, I think overall it's by far a successful season in comparison to what most people were expecting. Um and so I think that they're taking it that way. And, and I think they're going to roll with it and try and improve next year. Right. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, if they don't have to worry too much about this past season because hopefully just next season they'll have a healthy Patrick Line, healthy Boone Jenner. And then also, like, we have some young players like Cole Sillinger is going to be a year older, Adam Bokfist a year older. I'd love to even, like, dig into those two, uh, the return in that Seth Jones trade, because both of those guys... Well, first of all, like you have Bokefist, who was the eighth overall pick in 2018. And, you know, I guess Chicago figured that he was dealable in order to get like a stud like Seth Jones. And in this season, Bokefist had 22 points in 52 games, was averaging around 17 minutes of ice time. So not really being used as like a significant defenseman on the team. Uh, is he someone that you saw like potential to potentially be like a you know, a significant player, a significant contributor to the Blue Jackets at some point, And this was just still him like easing into the NHL or was this like a bit of a disappointment in terms of like how little he was used? Yeah. Well, I think you have to look at it. You have to kind of take a, um, you know, a step back and look at it a little bit. I mean, he's still, he was drafted in 2018, but he is a defenseman and defensemen usually take longer anyway uh, to, to kind of reach their, their peak or whatever. Um, and he's a guy that is just, he was very slight. He's very slightly built. He's not a tall guy. He's he's not short by any means, but he's not tall. And he's definitely not, uh, where they want him to be from a physical standpoint, from a strength standpoint, being able to go into the corners in the defensive zone and, and pin a guy against the walls and basically keep him there, you know, and, and not let him roll off and be wide open in front of his goaltender, uh, for easy shots. I mean, those are things that, that he really needs to work on and concentrate on this summer. And that, you know, as far as I can tell, and as far as Brad Larson, the coach has told us, 
that's the plan for him this summer. The plan is to basically get him in the weight room and get him, you know, I'm assuming taking a lot of protein shakes and meals and everything else and mm-hmm. trying to put on some weight and, and turn that into muscle. If he can put on, I mean, if he put on even 10 pounds of muscle or 15 you know, pounds with most of it muscle, um, he's going to be a better player in the defensive end. And wh- I think what we saw with him this year, which I thought was very interesting is, you know, he doesn't have to be now I'm, you know, in his head, I'm sure he wants to be as, as good as he can be defensively and offensively. But he really doesn't need to be a superstar defensively. He just needs to be NHL adequate. He needs to be average defensively at the minimum and then go from there because his offensive upside is through the roof. I mean, that was the one thing that I think we saw this year was that he's got just a, a an uncanny ability to be able to get shots through to the net um, from farther out and also be dangerous with that shot. I mean, his shot is he's got Brad Larson. The way he puts it is that he's got a forward shot. Like he, you know, he's got the kind of shot that it, it he can beat goalies clean with it. And we saw it over and over. He had 11 goals. Uh, I think he led the team uh, with uh, Wierenski for defensemen and goals uh, this year. Both of them had 11 and I mean, he was injured. He was probably injured four or five times this year and I mean, how many of those injuries uh, were to the fact that he wasn't, you know, he was taking big hits that he just couldn't take, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So I think that that's one thing that they they really want to see him bulk up a little bit, um, get stronger, and uh, and then just continue developing in the defensive end. He also, I mean, if you look at their entire defense core this year, the two most experienced guys coming in were Wierenski and Gavrikov. And Gavrikov only, I mean, he barely had a hundred games in the NHL uh, as one of the most experienced guys. Uh, you know, you look at all these other guys, Boquist, uh, Bean, um, Kukin, like all these guys that they had, uh, young defensemen, they just need time. They need a lot of time. I mean, the, the rule of thumb for defensemen in this league is 300 games. If you can get to 300 games, You've pretty much seen every situation that can happen in an NHL hockey game. You know how to defend it best. You know you know where to be and things like that. So guys who kind of reach their not their peak, but like they, 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 there's not a whole lot else to learn at 300 games. And so they have they have, like the only guy at 300 games right now, and he's at 400 is Wierenski. So they still have a young D core next year coming back. But as these guys, I mean, I know that in the internally, the hope is that as these guys get older and play more games and gain more experience, then they are going to all kind of gel and become a really good defense core that will power this team from the back end. Yeah, it's pretty wild that Wierenski is the most experienced demon on the team. And he's only 24 years old. So I guess that's right. another reason to be like licking your chops as a Columbus Blue Jackets fan, just needing these prospects to grow. And then like, who knows what this team can be. And Wierenski, like this was a big season for him, right? It was his first year as like the number one demon on the team with Seth Jones away. Like we all expected Wierenski to get all the, you know, top power play time. And like, as far as offensive metrics went, he had a career year, right? He had 48 points in 68 games. That would be a 58 point pace if he played the whole season, uh, beating his like, 53-point pace from 2019-20, which was his previous best. He also had a career-high 20, like over 25, almost 26 minutes on average of ice time per game as a 24-year-old, like I said. So I I feel like Wierenski isn't like thought of as like one of the premier defensemen in the league. Maybe he is like in Columbus, but generally you don't hear him in the same discussion as like, you know, 
uh, there's the top tier, like your Macars and your Headmans and stuff. But even when people talk about up and coming guys like Charlie McAvoy or whatever, I don't know. I just don't feel like I hear Wierenski mentioned as much. But like, in your opinion, is he one of these like top defensemen in the league now? Like, is what we saw this year for real? We should be expecting him to be like a 60-ish point guy, like give or take five points if he plays a full 82 games? He's got to stay healthy. I mean, that, that's the problem. Right. He, he really had some, some struggles. I mean, every year it seems like he's had struggles. And it's not, always, it's not anything that he's doing wrong. Uh, you know, hockey's a rough sport, and he ends up uh, on the wrong side of a lot of bad luck plays. I mean, you think back to the, there was a game in Minnesota this year where a defenseman steps up on him and, like, basically I mean, he's lucky he didn't break his jaw uh, hitting a, a, the top of the crown of the helmet hit him right in the face. And, like – you know, I don't know if it broke it. it. It messed up his mouth a little bit. And I think he gave him a concussion as well. I mean, he was, he wasn't great leaving the ice. Um, and then he did the same thing. He does the same thing, uh, stepping up on a defenseman later in the, after he came back, uh, later in the season and he gets injured doing the same thing to somebody else. Nah. So, so that guy, I mean, it's just, and then, I mean, I think he's been hit two or three times in the face with the puck. He had one of those at the end, you know, nasty one hit him in the nose, broke his nose. So like that poor guy has really been through a lot physically. Uh, so he needs to, uh, and there's, I don't know what you can do to avoid bad luck, but you know, maybe, maybe get a four leaf clover and put it in your skates or something. I don't know. But like, if he can stay healthy, um, I think, yeah, absolutely. You can expect 60 points out of that guy. I mean, Listen, when he was first in his first, like, what, four or five years here, he played with Seth Jones. And so Seth Jones got all the, the the headlines and the hype and everything else. And he was a great defenseman as well. He is a great defenseman as well. But when you play with Seth Jones, you're sort of in the shadow of Seth Jones, uh, no matter how good you are. I mean, Wierenski has been an outstanding offensive uh, defenseman ever since he got in the league. And I give him credit. I want to say years – two, three, four, uh, at least in years two and three, there were some rough moments where John Tortorella was like playing him on the second pairing, third pairing, and, and trying to like get him to under, you know, understand defensive concepts and be better in the defensive end. Cause he's a big guy, right. And he can use his uh, size to kind of wall guys off and things like that. So I feel like he under Tortorella, he became more of a two way defenseman. Um, and, you know, at the time he signed his, his well, I think it was a six-year extension last year before, like, last offseason. Um, I mean, it kind of came as a surprise because all these guys were starting to leave Columbus. And I, I just kind of had – I fell into the whole thing of, like, ticketing him because he's from Detroit that he was just going to wait until free agency and, and go back to the Red Wings – or go to the Red Wings. But he signed a six-year deal, and in retrospect – it made all the sense in the world because Seth Jones was gone. Now he and Seth are really close, uh, you know, they're good friends or anything, but listen, he wanted to be the number one guy and you're never going to be the number one guy as long as Seth Jones is around. So when Seth was like, yeah, I think I'm going to explore free agency. I think Zach Wierenski looked and said, I'll take that money. I'll take that ice time. Give it to me, you know, fork it over here. I'd love to stay here. And so that's what happened. And that's what you saw with Brad Larson this year. I mean, that like, it was kind of by default because all these other defensemen, like I just mentioned, were so inexperienced that he had to play somebody a lot. And it was going to be Zach. And, and Zach knew that coming into the season. He actually spent a lot of time last summer working on like his just aerobic conditioning and everything like that so he could handle those kind of minutes. 
And I mean, he handled them well, uh, as you noted with the, with the kind of production he had, he just needs to stay healthy somehow. And if he can, I mean, he's going to have a dynamite season. Yeah. And it's interesting, like Brad Larson comes in and Wierenski's not the only one who had a career year. So I guess he really knew, knows how to bring it out of people. Like the two, the, another blockbuster trade that Kekalainen made last year was the whole deal where he sent off Pierre-Luc Dubois to Winnipeg for Laine and Roslovic. And Laine especially was kind of, like not to sugarcoat it, like he kind of stunk in his first season in Columbus. Like he only had 21 points, 10 goals in 45 games. But now Brad Larson comes out. I don't, I don't I'm, I'm curious to hear from you if it, how much credit we want to give the coach uh, or maybe give the credit to Kekalainen for trading for Voracek I'm not sure but like uh Laine this past season had his best ever season point wise right like he had well when healthy he had 26 goals at 56 points in 56 games it's a point per game pace 38 goal pace unfortunately the year was cut short by an oblique injury that kept him on the sidelines in like November and December then he had that upper body injury that shut him down at the end of the season uh but so I guess first I should ask you just like how is Laine doing and like should we expect him to be 100% next season and then I'd love to hear like what was the difference difference between 2020-21 Line A and 2021-22 Patrick Line A? Well, uh, you know, we, we talked to him on the, uh, the locker clear out day, the, the exit interview day, and he wasn't going to give away anything about his, his upper body injury but other than to say he doesn't need surgery or anything, and he thinks he's going to be better in a couple weeks. And, and Boone Jenner, honestly, uh, I got some conflicting reports on him. Uh, you know, Brad Larson said there's no way he could have been able to play down the stretch. Yarmulkekalainen a couple days later then said, yeah, of course he would have been in there if it was a playoff run. So I don't know which it is of that. Uh, Boone said that he's not going to need surgery, though, so that's good news, um, that he's just going to need to kind of rest and recover with the back injury. So those two guys should be back and should be ready to go, um, you know, come training camp next fall, and that's, been, that's huge. Um, with Line A, I think a lot of it comes down to motivation. Um I think he came in here last year and it was, it, it's weird to get traded, you know, when you're younger and um, he had asked for it. He had asked to be traded, but you know, like you, most guys don't really di- uh, dictate where they get traded to. Some can Seth Jones sort of, you know, he, he didn't completely control that one, but he had some say in the matter because it was going to be whether he would sign long-term with the team or not. But like Line A just said, you know, I don't think things are going to work out here. Um, if you could find me a new spot, I would appreciate it kind of a thing. And so they did. And it was it was Columbus. And I don't think he was necessarily expecting that, obviously. Uh, so I think it took an adjustment period. It happened during the season. And he was still kind of injured at the time. Um, he got injured quickly. as another oblique uh, at the beginning of last season in Winnipeg. And he was still injured. So I think I think he comes in trying to meet new teammates. I don't think he meshed very well at first. Um, he's a guy who's very interesting because like the longer you get to know him, the more you can kind of uh, appreciate his dry sense of humor and his uh, bluntness. Like he'll, he's not afraid to you know, say what's on his mind type of thing. And a lot of hockey players will resort to hockey cliches and things like that. Patrick Laine is not that guy. Like he, like he may say a few of those every once in a while, but when he really wants to get his thoughts out there, he just goes right to the point and he's blunt about it. I think it takes some time to get used to. And it wouldn't surprise me if sort of his attitude last year and everything like that. And, and just kind of the way he is, I think that kind of, it, it was a hard mesh, I think with the new teammates a little bit, but not just that it was also, you know, John, John Tortorello was here and uh, it was a different system 
And uh, then Brad Larson was running this year, a uh, lot more stringent defensive thing. And I just don't feel like Line a, like felt like he fit in. And I think part of that, uh, I think, you know, he was just kind of, I don't know, drifting aimlessly, it felt like, you know. And then I think that, that it bothered him. I know it bothered him. He went back to Finland and, uh, and just decided that this year was going to be different and that he was going to come in and he was going to prove to every, you know, he didn't want to say like when you were use the word, you know, you have to prove something. He feels like he doesn't have to prove anything because he had 40 goals in his second year. He was this dynamic goal scorer for the jets in, in at such a young age. But at the same time, when you have a season like that, you want to have a bounce back. And so he came in pretty motivated to do that. And, and listen, he was great in training camp. Uh, he was great with the media. He was great on the ice. Um, he gets off to a wonderful start. He was a point per game player when he got that oblique injury. I mean, he was, I think it was nine games in the season and I think he had 10 points. Um, and you know, he got hurt in a game that they beat the Colorado avalanche. Um, this is the first of two in a row that they beat the avalanche back to back, uh, in Colorado. And then a couple of days later in Columbus. So, Losing him at that point was huge for the Blue Jackets. And it, I mean, if you look back at it, uh, I want to say like the second or third week uh, is when they really started to just kind of spiral and tank and, and lose a bunch. And they didn't know how to, they didn't have any, anybody really scoring a ton of goals at that point, And they were just kind of um, floundering a little bit against really good teams. And that's what really sunk them out of the playoff chase early. Um, and then, you know, the fact that the Eastern conference just became this like juggernaut of right. you know, eight, 100 point teams or whatever. I mean, that, that combination of things sunk them pretty early, uh, in the season as well. But, uh, you know, to look at his season as a whole, this was, like you mentioned, I mean, this is the first time that he was ever a point per game player for the whole season. And I think it's interesting because you, you bring that up to Larson or even at line a, Line will say like, well, yeah, I've always had the ability to pass, you know, like I'm a good passer. I know that. And Larson will say like, I don't care about his passing ability. I want him to shoot the puck as much as possible, as often as possible. I want him to score 80 goals if he can, whatever, you know. Um, but I do think it's impressive that that he is able to, you know, be an asset to this team when he's not scoring goals. And he's he showed that this year. Like if he went through, like there were previous years where he went through goal droughts and and didn't have the assists and things like that. And this year I feel like he was an asset to the team basically in all three zones um, when he was healthy, whether he was scoring goals or not. And then he had that one stretch where it was just like, I mean, what was it? Something like, uh, was it 19 goals in 22 games? I think it was something like that. It was, it was crazy. Like he, he puts up crazy numbers when he is motivated, when he is healthy and, you know, if they can keep those two things going together and they can sign them long-term, that would be a huge addition to their, their reset, rebuild, retooling, whatever you want to call it process going forward. Yeah, that's a good point. He's an RFA right now. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with him, like short-term or if they can lock him down long-term. But so it sounds like you're saying that we should expect that the line that we saw this past season, that's the real version, not the one from the season before, especially now that like Larson's the coach, like you said. And also, uh, yeah, a lot of people were just saying that he didn't have the, like someone good to like feed him the puck. He's such a good finisher. And so I'd imagine just bringing in Jacob Voracek, who's like known for being such a good passer, that must've also helped as well. And so he's, 
he's obviously still locked in for a little while. So it'll be really fun to see what they can do for a full season. Hopefully, yeah, again, just someone needs to stay, everyone needs to stay healthy. And then who knows what all these players can do. Uh, but yeah, so we have line A where Ransky having career years. Let's just keep it going. Uh, like Jack Roslovic, the other player who came back in that trade, he also like had a really good season. And like with Roslovic, he started the season with two assists in his first game. And then he kind of disappeared completely from the score sheet. Only one assist over the next month. And aside from a short spurt here and there, pretty forgettable member of the team, like from an outsider's perspective. But then like once Boone Jenner, and we'll definitely have to talk about Jenner, another player, by the way, who had a career year. Uh, but once he went down in March, Roslovic's ice time like shot up from around like 10 to 12 minutes per game to like 17 plus. And like, even a bunch of games where he was like 20 plus minutes. And Roslovic as like the top line center delivered. Like he had 19 points in his final 23 games. So do you think that Roslovic had this in him the whole time and just needed the opportunity? Uh, and like, and now it's really tough to try to figure out like what should we expect from him next season, assuming like Boone Jenner is going to be back because so Roslovic won't be the top line center, I'd imagine. Well, I wouldn't be too sure about that. I don't know. Oh. I don't know who their top line center is. I mean, honestly, if I think if if they were if you were to you know get into a back room with them and talk about it, and they look you know projecting things out, I'm thinking that they are hoping to draft their future number one center possibly in this draft, or per, perhaps Cole Sillinger might be that guy. I mean, Cole right, Sillinger. True. Uh, he's at least he is at at the minimum he is a a future big time impact second line center and maybe their first line center as well. I mean, he's that good. Uh, but for next season, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't write off uh, Rosovic earning that role back uh, at this point, but you know, I mean, Jenner and Jenner was really good at it. Uh, thing that keeps Jenner up there is his face-offs. I mean, he is easily the best face-off guy in the team. Um, he gets, and I think, Part of that is, is why he played so much and may have contributed to the back issue, uh, potentially. I mean, if you just look at usage and you know minutes and things like that, he was literally one of their only guys that could win a faceoff, and he was getting put out there all the time because he could win the faceoffs. Um, you know, Rosberg's got to improve in that uh, dramatically if he wants to stay in the in the top you know, center role. I think he was still in the 40% range this year. He's worked hard on that too. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him to get better in that area as well. He's shown improvement in that area in the past. Um, but if you talk just about Rosovic and his season, I mean, it was a tale of two seasons like this. So he came into camp. He had a great year last year, actually, after the trade, if you really look back at it, um, he put up career numbers for him then last year as compared to what he was given yeah. or what he put up in Winnipeg. He was doing was, better than Line A, it seemed at times. He was, absolutely. And, and I think that uh, part of that was just opportunity, right? Like he actually came here and they and he got a shot to play in the top six. Um, you know, Winnipeg, he was usually by, you know, fourth line, third line at the top kind of a thing. And so it was, it was opportunity for him to show his skills off and he did. Um, so I think based off those numbers coming into this year, people just had these big expectations. Oh, Jack's going to be a top six guy. He'll be our second line center, you know, maybe, maybe first line center. I think in his mind, he thought he was going to be the first line center right from, you know, jump street. And it didn't work out that way. Like, like this team came into this camp and Brad Larson basically told all of them, like, you guys are going to have to earn your roles. Uh, cause if you don't and, and you're slagging kind of thing, you're we're, nothing's going to be given to you. We're not going to just put you in a role cause you did well in it last year or something like that. And 
he kind of got caught up in that. Like he didn't have the greatest start. And then, I mean, when he was playing third line, fourth line to start out, um, he wasn't happy about it. There's no secret about that. I mean, like when he talked to us uh, early on, three or four weeks in the season, and he was checking in with him, uh, you know, the answer was, I just work here. You know, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, what kind of answer is that? You know, I just work here. I just mm-hmm. do what they tell me to do. I mean, nobody, I mean, this is the kind of stuff. I mean, he, it was not a good start for him. Like in, in any regard, off the ice, on the ice, it was bad. And there were, you know, Brad Larson likes to, um, he likes to point out a, a horrendous, you know, that's what, there's no other way you can call it. It was a horrendous decision pass in Calgary, um, like midway through the season. I want to say it was in February. It was by Rosalvik. And it basically was just a major pizza that turned into a, a gold the other way. Oh. And it was just, it was kind of like the start of, it was, well, it wasn't the start, but it was, it was among the things that started just a route, you know, of them getting routed by a very good Calgary Flames team on the road. And he said that Jack Roswick after that game, he and he and Roswick both had a, had a talk, a uh, pretty serious talk after that one. And, and he said that he could tell from that moment on that Roswick really wanted to make a dedication to just playing a better game. You know, just overall, let's make the right plays and let's do things like that. And you could see, I mean, if you go back into the stats and track from that game forward, you can see that, you know, his ice time starts going up because Brad Larson trusts him a little bit more after and a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's interesting, like his rise to the top line basically coincides with Boone Jenner's injury. So Boone Jenner goes down. And all of a sudden, like like right before he went down, Rosvick had already been moved up into the second line center role. Um, Sillinger was struggling a little bit. You know, he's an 18 year old rookie, lo- youngest guy in the league. So they moved him down to the third line center, or, or for, actually, he was fourth at one point because Corrali was the third line center. And then they moved Rosvick up to second. And he had some, he had a couple good games. You know, he was playing more games. And then Boone gets hurt, and it's kind of almost. I think it, to start out, it was by default, like who are we going to put at first line center at this point? You know, like it's going to have to be Jack. So Jack goes up there and he just kept playing. Well, he kept playing uh, better than he had played in the first half, uh, a little more responsible, obviously, and, and playing with more purpose in the offensive zone. I mean, I, I noticed in the first half of the season, he's got so much speed. He's got a lot of speed. He's got good hands and all that kind of stuff. But there wasn't a lot of purpose. Like he would just kind of charge into the zone. He'd be on the right wing and he'd just fire a pass across and hope that somebody was there to bang it home on the other side. And there was nobody there and it'd go back the other way. That doesn't make any sense. You know, like you need to, if you're going to be the center, you got to get in there and you got to do some, some purposeful things, either behind the net or going to the net or setting your teammates up for good chances, things like that. So in the second half, after when he took over and really started playing better, you saw all that. That was all coming out. And um, and his goal scoring ability was coming out. Now, it has to be noted, uh, if you're gonna, if you're a stats person, um, his shooting percentage was through the roof in the last like you know, month and month and a half, like to an unsustainable measure. So right. I mean, and he added a ton of goals in there. Um, so is that like how much of an aberration is that, right? Like we're gonna find that out next year. Um, over the course of the season, but I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that he can't score 20 goals again or 25 goals again. I mean, he's got a lot of talent, um, and so as, as long if he keeps playing the way that he did in the last two months, he could be an asset for this team. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and I'll bet you that no one's going to be thinking of drafting him in fantasy leagues next year. So he'll potentially be a good sleeper or a good player to pick up if you see things going well. I guess it depends also, like you said, if Cole Sillinger is going to bump him to the bottom six. Obviously, we have to see how that's all going to work out. So you brought up Boone Jenner and how amazing he was at faceoffs. And just in general, I just have to marvel at the season that Boone Jenner had. I'm in a dynasty fantasy league where it's like every category under the sun. And he ranked so high. When he got injured, it was devastating for me because he was not only getting all these points like he never had before, but also like the hits, the faceoffs, just like giveaways and takeaways. Like everything he did was just, wow, what a season. And it's, it's wild to me because he's been in the league for a really long time. And on under Tortorella, he was, you know, like he had that one good year where he like scored what was like 30 goals. And I remember then it was like the big debate of like, you know, was that for real or not? Maybe he had a high shooting percentage, whatever. But after that, like, you know, nothing special. And now he comes in this season was surprising to me that he was like getting that role, like, you know, centering line A, like playing on the top power play in the net front role. And he just like, yeah. So the final numbers, 23 goals, 44 points in 59 games. So that's over an 82 game season. That would be 32 goals and 61 points uh, from a 28-year-old veteran who had never broken a 40-point pace in his previous five seasons. So uh, like, I guess I'm asking with a bunch of these breakouts, like, was it Jenner that just came in this season? You know, he became the captain. Like, it's like, okay, I got to be a better player. Or was it just that Brad Larson knew how to use this guy in a way that Tortorella didn't know or didn't want to, to use him? Well, I think you got a, a number of factors working there. One of them is the captain thing. Um, you know, that is, that is something that Boone Jenner takes incredibly seriously. Um, he is a guy that is super proud to wear the C. He's a guy that was seen around here before when, you know, Nick Felino was still here. And we all kind of knew, you know, if Nick doesn't finish out his career here, then someone else is going to have to wear the C. And then we think, like, who's going to wear it? Is it going to be Seth Jones? And, and that very, by the way, that easily could have happened if Seth had stayed here long-term. Sure. I think you, I think you see the C on Seth uh, and another, and Boone, you know, keeps the A on there that he already had. But, you know, an argument could have been made even before that trade. Like, you know, they all looked at Boone as a guy who just oozed leadership. Like he's that guy, uh, you know, he just does it on the ice. He, the way he plays, you mentioned it all the I mean, if anyone's going to go in and grind and do the heavy, hard lifting work of a, you know, that kind of center, it's going to be Boone Jenner. Like he's going to do it. Um, the farm guy from uh, farm boy from, uh, you know, Ontario. I mean, he, he's raised that way. Uh, his work ethic knows no, no end. And I think that's ultimately what got him with this back injury because he just was good. He was just going to go until he couldn't go anymore. And that's just the way he's programmed. So they're going to have to kind of figure that out going forward, maybe, you know, make sure that that doesn't hinder him in the future. But as far as the numbers, um, I think a lot of it is very similar to like when he got hurt, uh, Jack Roswick, remember I said he was kind of like a de facto pick to replace Boone because he didn't really have many other options. Well, Boone was sort of that guy before Roswick. Um They looked at at what they had and they said, we don't have a number one center. Like we don't have, we don't have a, a Bergeron. We don't have any of these kind of guys that we would love to have, but we do have a guy who works his butt off, who's big and strong and who can win faceoffs. Like those are, those are a lot of, and, and he can score goals if he's around the net, you know, maybe he can clean up loose change. He'll score us, you know, maybe 20 goals or whatever, 15, 20 goals. Well, let's do it. Like he's our guy. 
And so, and he's the captain, right? So like all those things played together for him to be the number one center. And all of a sudden now he's playing with, you know, Jakob Voracek on the top line uh, to start the season. And then he's got, you know, Nyquist up there at times. And then he's got line A up there at times. I mean, when he was really going good, I think his line was, I think it was line A, uh, Jenner, and then Voracek was the top line. And they were also the top line on the power play as well. And they were just, I mean, they were clicking ridiculously well for about a month or month and a half. Um, And I think that's where a lot of his goals came from. But I mean, once you get hot as a scorer, you stay hot a lot of times. And, and I think with him, if you want to look at the stats and, and, you know, like I, if I were to get back into a fantasy hockey league, I haven't been in one in many years or however many years, I would look at things like on natural stat trick and I would look like I, I, I just like I do as a beat writer. So I look and see like they track individual scoring opportunities, you know, like, you know, how many scoring opportunities is each guy getting individually and Boone Jenner. If you go back the last three, four years, he leads the team almost every single year. And it's not even close as far as scoring opportunities. But the difference this year is that he was converting a lot of those scoring opportunities into more goals. So now was that just an aberration or, you know, a little bit of luck thrown in there, or was that just, you know, Boone being in the right place and, uh, and being able to to finish more of those chances. I think, you know, it was so funny when he went down, uh, you know, their power play wasn't great this year, but it wasn't as bad as it has been in the past two or three years. It was more effective. Obviously, you have, you have Line, you have Voracek. When he went down, it was a big loss to their power play because they didn't really have a guy who could replace that net front presence and do this all the things that he can do. Tip pucks, you know, uh, screen goalies, get him, you know, make himself available for Voracek for passes you know, down to the net front that he could either jam home or pass out to the middle to like Bjorkstrand in the middle or someone else or whatever for a goal. I mean, he could do all those things. And uh, when he went down, they just didn't, ha- they, they tried different guys there. It's just, he is, that's a skill set and he has got that. And I think that really helped him offensively this year. The combination of him being there and then also having, especially Voracek, Voracek really, he came in and everyone's like, oh, he's going to be great for line A. And he was to a certain extent, but he was great for all of them. I mean, because he really, he's like a point guard, um, you know, out there on the right wing in basketball. It's a basketball term, obviously. Mm-hmm. And he utilizes more weapons, right? Like if you just get Jake the puck over there and give him a little bit of time, he's not going to just look for line A every single time. He's going to look for Wierenski out top. And then it's going to come to him and be like, oh, there's Boone. And you saw that, and he started actually using Boone Jenner as a legitimate option. Whereas, you know, in previous years, Boone was just kind of the guy who stood in front of the net and nobody ever used him. So I think Borchek coming in on the power play really helped Boone, and uh, and it kind of helped him at five on five, too. Yeah, just a great season. I'm really curious to see if he'll be able to keep it up next year, but I guess I don't see why not. He's going to have Voracek still there, right? And he's still going to be that net front guy on the power play. So, okay, this obviously this whole interview can't just be happy stories. Otherwise, Columbus would have been a playoff team probably. <laughs> so uh, in the opposite direction of like Line A, Janner, Roslovic, I got to ask, like, what the heck happened to Oliver Bjorkstrand? Like he was coming off a career-high 64-point pace in 2020-21, and things started with what was looking like an even bigger breakout this year. Like he had 19 points in his first 19 games. He had 59 shots. Everything was going great. He was looking like one of the top players on the team. And then the next 19 games saw him pot only eight points. His shots were way down. 
Then he randomly got hot again in like February and March. And then he disappeared again near the end of the year. No points in 11 games starting in April. Then strangely, like in the, just the last like couple games, he was scoring goals. Like he had like a goal in each of the last four games. So yeah, you'll have to forgive me for having trouble wrapping my head around this season from Bjorkstrand. I saw your tweet yesterday, or I guess a couple days ago. Uh, he told the Danish media that he wasn't going to play for Denmark. And he was saying that he had this like hip flexor issue that worsened as the season progressed. Uh, so perhaps that was a reason. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to wonder, like, was it that Bjorkstrand just is, isn't as good or wasn't able to stay consistent? Or can we just like write this off? that he had this like hip issue and going into next year he could be like a huge sleeper that no one is you know like obviously like the total points are so far down from what he did before but maybe he is still the same guy if he's 100% healthy well he's an interesting guy because <clears throat> even though and by his own estimation it wasn't the season he wanted to have at all uh he still led the team in goals he had 28 goals uh so he you right, know fair and, enough uh, I just had high expectations, Brian. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. But I mean, well, this was a team that had a lot of depth scoring. You know, they they set a franchise record for goals scored this year. And I think only one guy, Borchek, topped 60 points. So, you know, it's it. they had a lot of depth scoring. A lot of people scored across the board. And I think that that also can kind of hurt, you know, your star guys if they're not like, you know, scoring every night. Um, you know, they're not going to be putting up numbers if other guys are scoring the goals. It's just kind of a you know deal. But with him, I mean, if you, I, you nobody, everyone hates the plus minus no number now. Um, I mean, his ended up over thirty. It was like or you know minus thirty, like minus thirty three or thirty two or something like that. Which I, the way I look at plus minus now is you know if it's if it's just kind of like minute you know minus ten plus ten. Those are kind of like, you know, we're not going to put a lot of stock into that. But if you're like minus 30, minus, like like line A last year was minus like 40-something, wasn't he? Or something? I mean, it was awful. Right. And I think that when you're really horribly in the minus, it kind of does tell you a little bit of a story about how that season went for that player. And same with, plus, with the plus side. You know, you got guys who are like plus 60 or plus 40. Well, <laughs> that tells me something about them. You know, good things are happening when they're on the ice. Yeah, well, especially if, like, the players around him have, like, wildly different numbers, you know? Correct. It's like, it's not as if, like, uh, Merz Lickens is, like, only letting in goals when uh, when Bjorkstrand's on the ice and not when the other guys are on the ice. Sure, and so I think I think the hip flexor thing was it was an interesting thing for me to to, uh, to see. Um, you know, we he didn't really bring that up with us at all, that he was injured at all, so I thought that was a, a bit of a surprise. So that may have limited him a little bit, but he's always kind of been this player. Like if you look back over his career, he's so streaky. Like he'll get on these really hot streaks and it's like, wow, this guy could really this guy score 40 goals some year, you know? And then all of a sudden he's just gone for like two or three weeks. And it's something he knows it. And he knows that he, it's something that he's always striving to be better at. Like he needs to, he wants to try and be more consistent. Uh, with his scoring, but he, this is something that has kind of plagued him as an NHL player so far. Tons of talent, still has tons of talent. Um, but you know what? He plays in Columbus. He's not a very brash, bold, loud, you know, loud guy. And uh, people forget about him a lot of times. And so, you know, I, I don't know. I just think that this year, uh, I don't think it was a terrible year for him, but like he could definitely be a lot better, you know, going forward. 
Yeah, I just feel like, like you said, we've seen some stretches where Bjorkstrand has been like the clear, like top guy, like a really viable player. And then this year, yeah, just for him to disappear. I was at least a little bit, like felt a little better about him when I saw that he had some injury just because maybe that's a bit of an excuse. But it'll be interesting to see now next year. Because like you said, if, if like Jenner, Voracek and Line is like a really good line that clicks, who what does that leave for Bjorkstrand? I guess like Sillinger and like Nyquist, I guess, would round out the top six or, or Roslovic. <laughs> That that factors into it too because like who did he play with this year? Like he didn't, uh, you know, he wasn't always on the top line. There were times that he was on the top line with uh, I think it was Jenner in, in line A or something. But like there were, he was kind of like the odd man out a little bit. Uh, he was always in the top six, not always, but he was most of the season was in the top six. But his centers kept changing, you know, over and over and over again. So I think that's going to see something that they they're they're hoping to you know if he comes back next year. Um, and I say if, because you never know what happens in the off season. I mean, does somebody, you know, target him in a trade? Uh, you know, they, we, who knows? You can't predict that kind of stuff, but assuming, you know, the roster comes back the way it is, they're going to want to find a, a center and maybe, and it's probably Sillinger, you know, in year two, uh, just put them with Bjorkstrand and let those two guys, you know, uh, work the whole season together. Okay, and one guy that we know will be back next year because he has a new contract about to click in is the goalie, Elvis Merzlikens. So I'd love to talk about him. This was his first full season, kind of like with uh, Wierenski. Like, this was Merzlikens' first full season as a starter. You know, no competition, really. He was pl- he played 59 games compared to 33 in his rookie season, 28 mm-hmm. in 2020-21. Uh, and unfortunately, like his numbers were solid enough, but it seems like the workload weighed on him a bit. Or this is like my interpretation. I guess you'll tell me. But like he ended the season with only a 907 save percentage and maybe more alarming. I see a negative seven like goals saved above average on a frozen tool. So compared to like positive numbers in the two seasons prior. So wh- what did you make of Elvis's debut as a full time starter? Like, do you do you think that he still has it in him to get back to that level that you know, there was so much hype around him in that first season? He was doing so well, like him and Corpus Sala were just taking turns like destroying everybody yeah. uh but yeah this season i guess he just wasn't that exciting i'm wondering if like this is something that like this is the real merzlikens or is he still like have the superstar potential well i think people will unfairly put uh, not just expectations but like i think they look at his age and they say well this guy you know he's right in his prime he's gonna be a stud the thing is this was his third nhl season and it was actually his first full nhl season right I mean, over in 1920 was his first year, like a rookie year, and that was the one that was uh, interrupted by the pandemic starting. And then 21-22 was a 56-game season. He had injuries, and he split it with uh, with Corpus Solo. And then this year he comes in as the guy. Uh, but, we, you know, also we got to look – you have to look off the ice. These are, these are human beings as well. And, you know, last summer he went through a trauma. Uh, you know, his good friend, um, Matisse Kevlinix was killed in, on, you know, July 4th at a party at the uh, goaltender Manny, Manny Legacy's house um, in Novi, Michigan. Elvis and his wife were there. Uh, his wife was pregnant with their, their first son. I mean, just it was it was a tragedy. I mean, it, it was something that he had to deal with uh, the rest of the summer. And I, I don't think fully. I mean, how could you be ready? Right to start this season and, and, to, and even go and he talked to us and not as in an excuse type of way, but when he talked to us uh, on the exit interview day, um, he did mention like like there were times uh, throughout the season when he would just he said he said I wasn't even there 
Like mentally, I wasn't even there. Like, you know, guys are coming down the ice or coming at me. And I'm thinking, you know, Matisse isn't going to be at my dinner for Christmas this year. Instead of thinking like, are they going to pass the puck over or kind of a thing like that? Like he was just out of it. And that was was typically around the holidays. He really did struggle around the holidays. Um, Said that fireworks really bothered him, you know, hearing, and and he knew that on New Year's Eve, when he heard fireworks shoot off, that it was going to bother. That's why he didn't start the New Year's Day game against Carolina. And Tarasov ended up starting that game, getting injured. Uh, I mean, Carolina Carolina was all over them that day uh, with just tons of shots. And so Tarasov was busy, played great, and injured his hip in the second period. And then Elvis had to come in, and he was – I mean, he got roasted in the fourth period because he was under siege as well. But he was just saying, you know, the the New Year's Eve fireworks really affected him and bothered him. Also said that, you know, uh, to to begin the season at least, the first few games, uh, the Jackets cannon was a problem. Um, It it just, you know, brought back a lot of the PTSD-type stuff um, from what happened last summer. So I think you need to qualify this a little bit that way. And say, you know, this guy, this guy mentally dealt with a lot of, you know, just coping and mourning the process and things like that. And as time goes on, I mean, he's not going to ever forget Kivlenics, obviously. But as time goes on, that you know, it should help him heal a little more in that regard. As far as uh, the on the ice stuff and and just performance, um, I think you need to. I think the most most encouraging part is what happened. I want to say the last six weeks of the season. I mean, he basically, once Corpus Allo decided, look, I'm out, you know, like I have to have hip surgery. Uh, I can't do this anymore kind of a thing. They made a decision. They said, you know what, here's the deal. Uh, Barube's coming up. He's going to be the backup and he's going to sit as the backup pretty much every game. And Elvis, you're going to play pretty much every game. And if you look at his stats, uh, that's how he got the 59 games this year is they basically played him every single game except for like maybe two uh, in the last six weeks or seven weeks. And so he was, he was handling full back-to-backs, like multiple back-to-backs, you know, playing both games, things like that. And that's what Brad Larson was saying. It was like, he needs to learn how to do this stuff because when we get into it next year or the year after, whenever, whenever they are compete, like truly competing for a playoff spot, they want Elvis to already physically be like, all right, let's just lock it in and go. Like I I'll handle every game, you know, like, like just play me every game. I could get They want him to get into that mentality. And by the, he even said, he goes to start out. That was a challenge. Like he, cause he wasn't used to it. He was used to being able to like kind of split the net with Corpus Allo a little bit, get some rest, get a breather, come back. And he, and it's not always like that, especially when you get in the playoffs, it's not like that. So right. You know, they need him to, to kind of take that step. And I think if you're looking for signs of encouragement from Elvis, I think that was a huge sign of encouragement from Elvis. The way he played those last six weeks, he gave him a chance to win most nights. Uh, I don't think he was bad by any means. I think he was much better than he was earlier. Just looking at him, you know, just kind of the feel. Is he comfortable in that and things like that? He looked a lot better down the stretch. So I would expect him to uh, have, have a bounce back season next year, a pretty strong one. 
That's great to hear for him. I, I definitely hope so. And uh, is, uh, should we expect that he will be this like high volume starter again next year? Like with Corpus Allo as a UFA, you know, there obvious, obviously could be the temptation to try to bring in another goalie to kind of split games with him. Or, or are you thinking maybe it'll be like Tarasov stepping in as, as the backup? Or I guess there's Barube also in the, in the picture. Like what, what do you think is going to happen in terms of the other goalie on the team? Well, that's a great question. Barube is, uh, he was, I mean, he made the team on a professional tryout offer this year and entered a one year contract. Contract. So I don't know if they're going to bring him back or not. Um, but yeah, that's a great question because both Corpus Salo and Tarasov are coming off hip, hip surgery. So can they be ready by training camp? And if they're not ready by training camp, what do they do? Do they hit the free agent market and try and bring in a backup? I mean, Elvis is definitely the guy. Like he is their guy. They have said they signed him to a five-year extension or whatever. And that's the first year that five-year extension kicks in next season. Um, he's the guy. And so it's like barring injury, he's the guy. And so they need that. They're going to ride him and they're going to give him, they're probably going to give him 60 games again next year. If he can take it, like if he, like if he doesn't get injured or whatever. So I think you can bank on that. And, you know, I think also this kind of goes back to the, one of the first topics we talked about today in the young defenseman. Um, and not just defensive, but also the, just a young team in general. They were one of the youngest teams in the NHL. This team turned the puck over a lot. Um, maybe not as much. I mean, they just made egregious errors at times. You know, maybe not as many as last year, but they were just deadly errors. Like, they, they weren't just like, turn the puck over and then, oops, we can get it back. and get set. It was like, turn the puck over, bang, it's in your net. You know, and the thing is, so what I'm saying is the goalies were put into a really difficult decision both last year and this year. So I think as the defense starts kind of maturing, getting better, more experienced, you're going to see the goaltending numbers going up as well, just by default. You know, and, and when you have goalies like Elvis who can make incredible saves, they become way more valuable when most of the game, all they have to do is just make the standard saves. You know, yeah. if like if they're not, if you look at, it, I know his goals saved above, uh, goals saved again above average or whatever was a negative. Like, take a look at the number of high danger chances that he he faced. It was a lot, and, and same with Corpusalo, and same with Tarasov. Like, they faced a lot because what they what happened was the Jackets ended up they loosened things up, uh, defend you know from the defensive standpoint a little bit to to seek more goals. It worked. They scored more goals, but they gave up a ton as well. So they're going to have to find that mix in the middle of like still being able to score goals, but maybe not giving up so many and giving up so many high danger chances in front of your goalies. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like as the defense matures, you'd expect that Elvis will have maybe a little bit of an easier life and that'll give him maybe better numbers overall. But yeah, so let's end with uh, I'm sure the prospect heads are listening and being like, you haven't talked about any of the players I want to hear about all the all the 20 year olds. So maybe we could end there and talk about all these young players on the team. Uh, we mentioned Cole Sillinger a few times through the episode. So he had a really strong rookie season as an 18 year old, 31 points in uh, 79 games. Uh, then we have like, it, like they got Sillinger. That was one of only three first round picks they had last year. They also picked Kent Johnson uh, at sixth overall. And there's also Corson Kuhlman's another defenseman who had a big season uh, this past year with University of Wisconsin, 22 points in 34 games. Uh, Kent Johnson, by the way, I see he had 37 points in 32 games with Michigan. Uh, so how are we feeling about these three 2021 first round picks? I know, I guess it's a big question. Just asking about three players, but I'm just curious to know, like what is management like thinking currently? Like, are they happy with these? 
these picks still? Are they excited? Are we excited to see what these players are going to do next year? And also, I guess like how long before each of them, I know Sillinger's already there, but what about Johnson and Kuhlman? So when, when should we expect them to show up? Yeah, I think that, uh, I think they're actually ecstatic about all three of those picks uh, right now. Um, and actually their second round pick, uh, one of their second round picks last year, Guillaume Richard, uh, he had another defenseman. He played uh, for Providence this year in college and he had a great season by all, all, I mean, they're, if you look at their defensive like prospect system, like they're loaded on defense now with with and they're almost all puck movers. There's a couple guys. They have a guy named Makarov who's like a big, strong, like Gavrikov type who's like kind of developing in Russia right now. But like other than him and and someone and, and maybe one other guy, they're all kind of like maybe you know varying po- uh, parts of like a Boquist type thing where like like probably stronger than him a little bit, but like just just puck moving great shots, you know, guys like that who can really skate uh, and they're loaded. I'm going to tell you, you probably, I can just sit here and talk about them all day. They can, they go about 10 deep. So, uh, you know, Kuhlman's, uh, you know, the guy you mentioned there, he was like their 25th overall pick last year. He had a slow start uh, with the university of Wisconsin as a freshman. Um, there was a little, you know, some people who were, you know, people who watched prospects were a little concerned he really turned it on about midway through the season and just finished really strong. He's a he's a bigger guy. He's about six. He's six two, six one, six two. He's got a pretty good frame on him. He's not going to be the kind of you know Shea Weber beat the you know tar out of people, but he knows how to use his body. He can hit. Uh, he's physical. He, by the time he gets to the NHL, I'm sure he'll have gone through Wisconsin strength development program, so he'll be good there. And offensively, he can run the power play. He's a good power play quarterback. So they like what they got there, but I, w- I would be surprised if we saw him any earlier than, I mean, the earliest would be the end of the next season, you know, like after his sophomore year at, at in college, most likely the year after that would be my guess on him just because they have so many young defensemen that are, that are like him. Mm-hmm. Why not just let him develop in college and then bring him in when he's even more ready to go. Uh, when you want to talk about, I mean, let's talk, let's go with Sillinger really quick. Sillinger, I mean, he would have played all 82 games, I think, had it not been for a COVID thing and then one slight injury. I think he ended up playing 78 or 79 games. And he was the youngest player in the NHL all season long. He, he doesn't even turn 19 until like a week from now, I think. Still 18 years old. Um, and he scored 16 goals in uh, his first NHL season as the youngest player in the league. Playing top six minutes as a center, going up against guys like Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, you know, all these like – stars of the league yeah it's wild yeah i mean he faced a lot of these guys. that's why the jackets are so excited about him because he came out of it and like he had some struggles everyone's gonna have struggles a little bit of up and down right but he always bounced back from him from them and he is if you just talk to him he seems like he's like 25 years old right now he like he's just his dad played for a long time uh you know mike Sillinger played for a long time in the nhl um and so I think he gets it. We, that's what we always say. Like when you get, you can just tell he sort of gets it off the ice. He gets it on the ice. He gets like his teammates absolutely love him. And, and he, cause he's not, he doesn't just act like an 18 year old kid. I'm sure he does at times, but like they, people look at him around here and they're like, that dude's going to be somebody like he is already, he's already pretty good. How much better is he going to get? Probably going to be a lot better. I mean, if you, and you I, I mentioned, um, uh, Boone Jenner's uh, individual scoring chances on on natural stat trick, his are usually near the top. 
Well, when he went down, I mean, all season when Boone was still healthy, the guy right behind him was Cole Sillinger, like right behind him. And when Boone went down, Cole led the team in individual scoring chances created for himself. So the big problem for him not scoring goals was that he was 18 and he's, this is his first season going against NHL goaltenders. Like give him a year, two years. If he gets the same amount of opportunities to score goals, I think you're going to see 25, 30 goals out of that guy. And like, without like pretty much every year. I mean, that's how good he is. His shot is, his shot is like an upper echelon NHL shot right now. He just has to learn where to place it. And, and he's already starting to learn where to get on the ice to be able to get that thing off. So great season from him as far as prospect seasons go. And, and there's a lot to be excited about him going forward. Kent Johnson had a great year at the collegiate level. And also and he was fifth overall pick. Uh, Cylinder was 12th. Uh, technically 12th. He was actually the 11th guy taken because Arizona had a pick that was right. Whatever. But uh, so anyway, 11th, 12th, whatever. That's where he was picked. Uh, Kent was fifth overall. They love his skill. I mean, he's got great hands. He's has really good vision. He can skate, um, but there's not a lot to him. He's sort of built like uh, Oliver Bjorkstrand was uh, several years. Oliver Bjorkstrand has put on a lot of muscle and weight, actually. I mean, or muscle, I should say strength. Um, he's still kind of a wiry, thin guy, but he's really way stronger than he used to be. And that, I think that's what they envision and they hope that Kent Johnson gets to because right now, I mean, he's six, he's over six feet, six one, six two, or something like that. But he weighs like 175 pounds or 170 pounds. They would like him to be like one, 180 in, in that range. And it's really hard for him to get, um, he's listed at 165. I think he's heavier than that. But, but basically, he needs to get stronger. He needs to get a little bigger. Um, he got seven or eight games in the NHL. I think it was seven at the end of the season after his college career was done. He came right over here, started playing. I felt like he looked a, a bit outmatched, overmatched a little bit, uh, but that's to be expected. You're coming right from college. You got no training camp. You got no preseason. You got none of that. You're just basically coming from college and going right to the NHL. That's a hard ask. Right. And he still ended up with like three assists and, and he made a couple of plays that were just draw jaw dropping. Like, wow, that was a great pass to Jake Vorchek for a goal, for instance. Um, so I think that, that they're I think they're penciling him in as as a regular next year. I think he's going to be a lineup regular. I don't know whether it's on the third line, second line, first line, but I think he's a top nine guy for them next year. Nice. So if you had to bet now, who's going to get more points next year between Sillinger and Johnson? Well, that's a good question. I mean, because Johnson's more of a point accruing score. Like, he's a point of game guy. Whereas Sillinger is the kind of guy. And it's interesting because, like, like if Johnson is not to the point where he's scoring point a point of game, there's, I don't know if there's a whole lot to his game in other areas that you're going to be like, oh, yeah, that's, got, that's helping us win. You know what I mean? Like, like he's got to score for them to, to him really help the team at the, at this point, he, he's going to improve at all that stuff. But right now, Cole Sillinger, I mean, he's going to be better at faceoffs next year. I mean, he was in the forties as well, but he, you can already tell he's a guy that's already put in work there. So I could see him improving in faceoffs. He's already become a really good defensive center. And that was not his thing. Like everyone's like, Oh, this Sillinger kid can really shoot it. You know, like when they're going to the draft, well, guess what? He can play a little bit of defense now too. So he does a lot of, he's bigger too. I mean, Cole's over 200 pounds. He's probably like, uh, I think he's 5'11", maybe pushing six foot, 200 pounds or so. And he, you know, he's going to keep working out and getting stronger as well. So 
As far as points, I think if, if Johnson can get going and, and kind of get in hit his stride and find his rhythm, I'm going to go with Johnson with more points, but probably Sillinger with more goals. Okay, fair. It sounds kind of like a ceiling and floor thing, right? Like you're saying Johnson yeah. has to like do really well, or maybe he's like the higher risk of getting sent to the minors at some point while Sillinger looks like he's going to stick around for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and then since we're talking about uh, prospects, I, there's there's so many more to discuss, right? One I just need to bring up, though, is we have a patron of Keeping Carlson, Norm, and his cousin played for the Columbus Blue Jackets at the end of the season, Nick Blankenberg. He signed directly out of the University of Michigan, and he made a pretty big impact like especially fantasy wise he had three points in seven games 13 shots 19 hits 12 blocks uh so is blankenberg someone that we can pencil in for next season i know he's like a free agent right now is he someone that's in the plan to bring in or do you think that he's gonna be left to walk somewhere else yeah well they signed him to a one-year deal uh, out of college uh, entry-level deal because of his age i think he's, he's 23 already so it dictated that he had to have a one-year deal so they brought him in and, and played him right away it burns the year and now he's a restricted free agent uh but he doesn't have arbitration rights yet so basically he's their guy they're going to figure out a, a contract with him and unless somebody sweeps in with some huge con you know um uh contract offer sheet or something like that but that would be shocking uh for a guy who's only played like six or seven nhl games um but I'll tell you what, in the short amount of time that he actually got to play in the NHL, I mean, he hit the ground running and he was, I mean, he didn't, as soon as, I mean, he, he looked like an NHL player as soon as he got on the ice For, from game one to the last one he played. Uh, he's only about five foot nine. He's not the heaviest guy out there. He's strong, but he's not the, you know, he's obviously not bulky or anything. So you, you look at him, you're like, there's not a lot to him out there. Um, however, He's got some snarl to his game and the big comparison that always gets made and it, you know, you hear it at first and you think like, okay, let's see him do it first. But it's Tori Krug is the big uh, comparison with him because they're about the same size. Krug's a left-hand shot. Blankenberg's a right-hand shot. Um, both from Michigan. Uh, Krug, you know, Krug went to Michigan state. Uh, Blankenberg went to the university of Michigan. You know, there's a lot of comps there and, I, I mean, if you, like I said, you hear that first, and you're like, yeah, 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 let's see it. And he comes in those six games, and the way he played in those games against some teams that were pretty good teams that were heading to the playoffs, I got to tell you, you guys start thinking like, you know what? This guy may have some Tory Krug in him. Um, I mean, he's got to prove it over the long haul, but it wouldn't shock me at all for him to be that kind of player in the NHL over a, a pretty decent, you know, length of a career as well. Tory Krug's a heck of a defenseman. And he's playing in the playoffs right now for the St. Louis Blues and was great for the uh, Bruins before that. Um, could really skate. Uh, Blankenberg can really skate as well. I've noticed he's a really good skater. He's so confident. He's been, like, he gets the puck on his stick and he is just confident. Like, you know, a lot of guys at that position would come in as such a defenseman and be like, you know, shaky stick and, you know, not be able to make. I mean, this dude is not that at all. Like, he, he believes that he belongs there. And he played like it, and I think that he's going to be. It wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised to see him work his way up to even the top pairing next year. To be honest with you. Oh wow! He, like before, like he before he got hurt, before Wierenski broke his nose, um, that that was their first pairing for a little bit. It was Wierenski and Blankenberg, lefty righty on the top thing, and Wierenski talked like just glowingly about him. So I love playing with him. So wouldn't I mean I'm not gonna say that he's gonna come in and, and just be handed that position right away. He's gonna have to earn it in camp. 
but I, that would not surprise me in the least if he's either their first or second uh, pairing defenseman next year. Okay, so definitely something to watch in training camp and for anyone in a multi-category league. Like I said, if he if he gets those minutes, there's a lot of different ways that he's going to be able to contribute. Uh, of course, like, oh, oh, I'm so sad when I'm looking at the clock and I'm seeing that we're already almost out of time. Like there's still like, you know, Chinnikov, Marchenko, who you wrote that article about. Maybe I'll just ask a blanket question. Like are either of these guys, or is there anyone else I haven't mentioned that we should have on our radar for like next season, someone that's going to be an impact guy on Columbus that people need to like start learning their name? Well, those are two good names right there. Uh, we'll start with them real quick. Uh, Chinnikov is one. I think he only ended up with like seven or eight goals this year. Uh, he started – I'll tell you what. That guy's they, – they do the prospects tournament up in Traverse City every year uh, before training camp. And that's usually a pretty good indication. The guys who can dominate up there are usually the, your NHL-type players who are almost ready for it. And he was just – he was the best player in camp. It wasn't even close. Like he, his shot was incredible. And still, actually, it was close because Sillinger was a close second, and they played in the same line, and they were both just lights out. They ended up winning the tournament and all that kind of stuff. So there was a lot of hope for him coming in. He was the KHL Rookie of the Year last season, um, you know, helped his team over there win the, the championship, the Gagarin Cup championship, before he came over here. So everyone kind of thought, you know, this guy's going to tear it up and have like 20-plus goals or whatever, and it just didn't materialize. Like he he really and, – and I after I watched some highlights of him from KHL – I kind of had a feeling he was going to have some issues with like a smaller ice surface and better players on there, you know, closing out windows and, and not letting them get shots off and things like that. Cause in the KHL, it's, I mean, there's some teams that do a good job of that, but like there, there's a lot of nights where it's a big ice surface and there's nobody around you and you can just fire the puck and, and the goalies aren't as good as the NHL goalies and it's going to go in. So you got to kind of take all that stuff into consideration. But all that said, his shot is, it's like, as far as strength, like the, 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 the velocity that he can put on a wrist shot, his one timer, those are all elite. And so if he ever, um, like for the NHL elite, so he's just got to kind of put it all together and, and get himself open and be able to find better spots to, to beat goalies. And then same with Sillinger. Figure out how to beat these goalies. Because if you can, I mean, they have the tools to do it. They just got to figure out how to do it. So I think him and uh, and then Marchenko is sort of that way. He's more of a playmaker. Uh, he can do both. He, he's kind of like a he'll, – he'll score goals and make plays. Uh, you know, he's an interesting one because the last three years he's split between, you know, the KHL for a good KHL team and also – like the Russia's version of the AHL. Like he's kind of split the season the last two or three years between two different levels. And I, I still need to kind of make some calls and figure out why that was. But he's coming over. They're very excited about him. He's a bigger guy. He's like 6'2". He's 200 pounds or so. Like he, he's a pretty big, strong winger that they're going to the, try and work in the mix. I would see him maybe on a third-line role starting out, possibly fourth, but, but maybe third, and then see if he can work his way up the lineup. Um, but then another name that we haven't talked about yet that you guys, if, you, if you're doing this for, you know, trying to figure out fantasy stuff and all that kind of stuff, keep the name Justin Danforth in your mind because Justin Danforth came in this year as a 28 year old first year player. Uh, nobody wants to call him a rookie because he's, you know, basically a pro coming over here from Europe. Uh, he's a Canadian, played over in Finland in the KHL, did really well, and then came in here and earned a spot. 
he earned a two-year contract extension this year. Um, he had 10 goals in 44 games. I mean, he, he's got a ton of skill, but what they really want him to do is use his speed. He's not big. He's kind of like, uh, he's a little tall. He's a lot taller than Gerby, but like kind of that same mold, you know, like a Nathan Gerby type where he's going to get into your kitchen. He's going to get into your grill. He's fast. He's not afraid of anybody. But the thing about him though, and same with Gerby too, in his prime is that when he does, when, when the four checking effort does pay off, He's going to finish like he's got really good shot and he can really pass the puck as well. He was a center over overseas. And so I think he's a guy that like, you know, I think a lot of people look at him here and say, well, he'll be maybe he can score 15 goals. I don't know. 10 goals in 44 games to me tells me that he he might be a, a candidate for 20 if he gets in the right situation. And I'm not going to put it past him to, to maybe even earn a, like a power play spot on power play, too. Uh, at some point, because he plays that middle position in the one-three-one really well. So those are three names that I would look for um, as potential, uh, you know, breakout seasons next year. Wow, you know, for a team that's on a reset, like you said, it seems like we, we've talked with so many players. It, it might be hard to fill to even make a spot uh, or to make the team if you're one of these players. There's only so many spots. We yeah. haven't even talked, obviously, about like Nyquist, like Sean Corrali, like so. Yeah. Texier is another one. Texier missed the second half of the season, and he arguably, when he went down with a broken finger, he was their best forward. Oh wow! Okay, so look at that. Uh, anyone who like was thinking, ah, I guess I'll just check this out. It's Columbus. I'm not too interested. But at this point, you're probably thinking, this is an exciting team. I, uh, I'm really interested to see sure. how things check out next year. Yeah, they can score goals. They've got to figure out how to, how to prevent them. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, we've talked about like all these defensemen that will help. We didn't even really discuss like Gavrikov or, or Jake Beans. They have lots of players. They just need a few of them to pan out and hopefully everything will be okay. Uh, Brian, this has been so fun. The time has just flown by. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, everyone who's listening obviously realizes by now that you're like, know everything there is to know about the Columbus Blue Jackets. Everyone should follow uh, Brian at Brian Hedger on Twitter. Like I mentioned, he's the beat at the Columbus Dispatch. If you want to go check out his articles, is there anything else we want you want to tell people to check out um no i mean you can always take give me a follow on uh twitter it's just brian hedger b-r-i-a-n-h-e-d-g-e-r and uh, i try to keep up on my instagram i think i'm brian hedger 82 82 on that one or something i don't know but, but <laughs> i try to keep up on that one uh but but you know mainly you can find me on the on the twitter machine giving updates and, and things like that Okay, well, thanks so much again for coming on and good luck to the Blue Jackets next year. Hopefully they'll uh, improve on... If they improve even a little bit on this point total, we're, we're looking at a team that's in the playoff picture. Possibly, but, you know, again, that, that East with 100... True. That's a 19-point difference between possibly getting in the playoff mix and, and being out of it. So we'll see, but it, it could have been... That may have been an aberration this year too. So we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, thanks again. Have, have a great night and, uh, yeah, good luck to the Jackets. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Thank you so much. That was amazing. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. Good to, uh, good to be on with you and, uh, you know, talk over the team a little bit. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of storylines with this team. So, you know, keep an eye on them. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to be playoff team next year, but, like, I think in the plan is for, like, the year after next year to, to be something. But, I mean, a lot of it – I mean, look, at they got Chicago's pick and their pick and this year's – first round and so that the worst oh, it could yeah. be the worst it could be is six and 12 overall is that chicago pick like protected at all or could it could that theoretically yeah. be the top pick 
No, it's it's protected for the first two. Okay. Um, but the jackets are signed. Like, there's some in the. It, it's a division, right? There's some people that want them, like want the <laughs> they want the Blackhawks to get that pick this year, get the first or second pick, and then push the jackets pick to next year because next year it's not protected. So next year's the Connor Bedard draft. Mm-hmm. So they think that the Chicago is going to be terrible again, and that they might have a chance at Bedard, but. I think that's pie in the sky pipe dream stuff. I, I think what you do is, I mean, let's say the worst case scenario this year for them is picked like uh, as far as first round goes, you pick sec, uh, sixth overall with Chicago and 12th overall with your own. I think, I mean, listen, you're picking that high. There are good players. I don't care what people say about this draft. There are good players, impact players at that point in the draft and both those picks. They got Sillinger at 12 last year. Yeah. You know, and, and nobody thought that guy was going to even make the NHL, let alone play. He was the only guy that played the entire season from last year's draft class. So you just never know. So I think that like, if they get six, I think they may be able to get like a Brad Lambert, who I really like. I know he hasn't put up a ton of numbers in the Finnish league, but He's a guy who I think is just going to be he, – he can play center a little bit. They need to get a center. They really need to find – if they can, they need to find like a, a number one type center. And then you got like Sillinger, that guy, you know, and then just go at Rosvik, whatever, go down the line, you know. But mm. that's the difference between them and these playoff teams is that the other ones have – Like a like, superstar yeah, center. Yes. Yeah. I even I even said to uh, Portsline the other day, I was like, I would trade Kent Johnson and someone else and see if I can get that number one pick this year and just get Shane Wright. Like just get, cause like the, the projection for him is, is um, Bergeron. I'm like, if he's Bergeron, just give him to me right now. Like you don't, you've never had a Bergeron here. Sure. Like he's a two way guy. Like he's not going to put up a hundred points, but you don't know. Like, he's going to stop everybody defensively, you know, yeah, I mean, definitely. Well, yeah. hey, Bergeron's a UFA. Why not just go get him? <laughs> That's a good point. You know, if they, if they, I think, I think they honestly, they would never say this, but I think that they just want to kind of let these young guys, you know, have, go through the growing pains, and then they don't want to say suck, but you know, just just not make the playoffs again or whatever, and be a lottery team again next year, and then also potentially have Chicago's pick if, if Chicago wins these first two, and then you're really reloading. Like they're just, they're just trying to stack as many like impact talent players from the draft as they can mm-hmm. so they can build like a Florida, a Colorado, you know, the, those, those kind of powerhouse juggernaut type teams, you know, like LA's on that way too. Oh yeah. Everyone says that there. Well, I was just reading an article about how uh, Columbus was ranked as like, what was it? The fifth best prospect pool in the league. Yeah. Scott Wheeler's rankings or yep. sixth best. Yeah. LA is, is super high up there too, but it's like, it's a pretty good spot for Columbus to be in, especially because they're a team that did well this year. I guess so did LA actually. They're in the playoffs right now. Sure. So. Yeah, absolutely. So well, this is a fun right. chat also at the end here. Now I'm going to, maybe I'll have to like plug that. <laughs> I'll pop that into the post show like or something. Like an extra add on or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So thanks again. Have All a right. good night. It's good to meet you, man. Take care. And anytime yeah. you want me on, just let me know. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Next summer, like, uh, let's, let's book it now. That'd be amazing. Let's do it. Let's okay. do it. All right, man. Okay, good bye. to see you.